0: Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palette Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life.
1: Continuing the discussion on the weird and wonderful world of auction, wine auction market, which you such... incredible expert in is so well versed in so many different bits and pieces and what it really takes. I mean, on the face of it, um, any given auction has buyers and sellers, and sometimes it's one of the same, Um, but there's so many different personalities that populate that space.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And some of them have stirred up quite a controversy.
2: Yeah. Well... Yes, Alana, thank you, because looking back, I I definitely grew up in an era of the wine business, the wine industry, and specifically wine auction business, that knowing what we all know now Mm
0: -hmm.
2: was uh, incredibly fascinating, uh, incredibly... um,
1: Opaque and mysterious.
0: Yeah, (laughs) a lot of mystery,
2: a lot of opacity Mm -hmm. that became a little less opaque as uh, some of these, some of the dirt was getting uncovered and some of the stories Mm -hmm. were finally coming out. Um, Yeah, so something I think about, you know, which. Again, you know, we're talking about so many really interesting, almost odd uh, events that, you know, around my wine experience and my wine industry experience. I want to start with before I was in the wine business, when I was really getting into wine. And uh, I had a dear friend, passed away about five years ago. Uh, one of my wine mentors, his name was Armand DeMille And um, This is something we, 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 This is a whole other podcast subject mm-hmm. I, I'm mentioning him In passing because He was actually Somebody would go to wine auctions And I went to my first wine auctions Before I was in the business With him and we went to uh, Some Acker Acker auctions we went to some uh, morel auctions and we're talking about you know 2002 2003 long time ago you know especially now I mean, it was looking back <clears throat> you know the catalogs the wines the prices uh, you know you wouldn't you wouldn't recognize this world at all you might as well just be teleported to mars or something yeah. and, you know it's so different
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but um and i i I would, Armand and I would go, and uh, sometimes Sarah would come, sometimes Armand's wife at the time, Zoe, she would come sometimes, or just be us. And what was cool and fun about it for me, I didn't have like money to spend on auction wines. And also I was just learning stuff. There was so much I didn't know, looking mm-hmm. at the catalog, I didn't, you know, I, so many of the wines I wasn't familiar with, but I was learning, and it, this was, it was cool. And I, the, But the excitement of the idea of, Fine wine in the auction market, and the excitement of an auction room and an auctioneer, and wow! I mean, yeah. I, I I was I definitely <coughs> was getting hooked. You know, mm-hmm. this was cool. It was an energy and an excitement that was addictive. So um, we uh, the first time I actually went on a limb and bought wine at auction, I was at an Acker auction, and this was, it must have been, yeah, 2003, 2004, I don't know, long ago, quite a while ago now, and it was when Acker was doing auctions on... Uh, uh, Central Park South, Fifty Seventh Street, the Intercontinental Hotel, or whatever. They Mm -hmm. long time ago, way, way long ago. Mm -hmm. And um, so, I'm bidding, and I'm actually I'm bidding on a magnum of 1989 Chapoutier Le Pavillon because I had a connection to this wine, Mm -hmm. and this was a wine with of an older vintage, magnum, one magnum. And I thought, well, it's a stretch, but okay, I'm going for this because you know, (laughs) I want to do it and. You know, I'll, I'll apologize to Sarah later for blowing, you know, blowing our month's rent. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm bidding and there's somebody bidding against me. I look over and it's an Asian, sharp looking Asian gentleman. Uh, glasses, long, a little longer hair, good looking dude, good smile, well-dressed. It was Rudy Cornelia on.
0: Mm. I
2: ended up winning the lot. So the first auction lot I, I bought as just an auction purchaser, I outbid Rudy, and I think it was only kind of accidental because I think he got distracted, and when the lot was hammered, he somebody pulled him aside to chit-chat or gave him a glass of wine or something. Because I remember, him, I remember, I didn't know who he was at that time. Nobody did. This is, we're go, this is pre, quote unquote, Rudy days. Yeah. And uh, uh, I was later introduced to him and, oh, hey, this is Rudy. Rudy's a young guy uh, around your age, big wine buyer, wine lover, up and coming guy. Okay, cool. cool. Yeah. That's it. Like I said, like this is late two thousand three, early two thousand four, <clears throat> and uh, but literally the first wine I ever purchased at auction, I outbid Rudy Cornelon, which I think is crazy.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So it set
2: up's the fact that then you know the relationship, the arc of my career in the auction business. You know, of course, Rudy. Uh obviously, it, w- it wasn't long after that, he's becoming one of the biggest buyers. He's a force in the auction market. Of course. Biggest sellers. Um, I get to know him because we're doing a lot of business in Los Angeles where he lived. Uh, and we got to know each other. We were, uh, you know, no BS or anything. I'm not saying I was like close friends. I, I wasn't... Um, in Rudy's camp like a lot of others mm-hmm. but by you know by virtue of being at Zacky's being I did a lot of events I was in LA a lot we were doing a lot of auctions there I spent time with him I mean, the first time I had I just lunch with Rudy at like uh the Peninsula Hotel you know we just we order Krug and have their great macaroni and cheese there on the rooftop by the pool and stuff and it was always casual because the you know the wine world at the the auction level it's when you're dealing with buyers and sellers and again this is way before there was any hint of possible wrongdoing Mm -hmm. you're just saying well it's just you know a wealthy young man who's very intent on wine and and uh spending a boatload of money on it so cool and again I was 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 with Zachy's and we always, we, we weren't, never felt we were like, you know, some clients have, it seemed like kind of had some allegiances or a little more allegiances. Yeah. Rudy, there was, you know, more of an arm's length with us, I guess. I mean, he came, he would be in New York a lot, come to a lot of our auctions, uh, but actually most of the time. I spent with him was socially uh where being in LA and he was hosting something. And actually one of the greatest tastings. I mean, Rudy it's interesting now to see after his conviction and the fact that he's now in prison uh after, you know, his fraud was outed. Um uh thinking back to the what 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 interactions had with him and what time spent with them there were times where he was being very legitimate, and there was times i knew he was. Uh, looking back now clearly he wasn't legitimate hmm. but one i remember tasting invited to an l <clears throat> a probably two thousand six maybe 2005 I don't know somewhere I have notes but it was he put together great restaurant LA uh, forget the name Uh, it was a Heights Martha's vineyard vertical from the first vintage of 1966 up till 1985
1: very impressive
2: every vintage and for a group of there must have been at least about 20 18 20 people and at least two bottles of each Every one of those bottles was legit. This is not. This was not. This is not what Rudy's racket ended up being. He wasn't faking things like Heights Martha's Vineyard. As far as I knew, uh, it's very possible Heights Martha's Vineyard was used for other wines that I, I don't know. I can only, mm-hmm. like anybody else. I can only speculate. Yeah, of course. But it was totally legit, and it was freaking awesome, and it was such a great learning experience because it was. That was truly legitimate. Yeah. And I can remember. You ask me now, and I was taking. The, you can ask me now. Any one of those vintage vintages of Heights Martha's Vineyard, and we're almost. This was almost a tasting 15 years ago. I can. It's in my wow. me, burned in my memory, and I can tell you, you know, which was cool. So Rudy, was he doing this as a cover or a front for something else at that time? I don't know. Was he just this flippant, guy who had some money then ran into trouble and tried to fake his way out of it i don't know really it's a mystery and even what came out in the court proceedings and all this still leaves a lot more questions than there are answers so but then again there's I'm, i look back now there was a time rudy came to town i had a lunch with him and we he had a 59 brought a 59 romani conti and a 59 musni Vogue. Way wow and i saved those bottles i have them somewhere packed away and I, I'll, I'll admit this was even before stuff was blowing up i'll be the first minute you're wrapped up into this craziness of these old wines and this of course and, and you're not questioning it the way that you would now and uh but looking back now and when i've looked back at those actual bottles i kept looking at the labels it was a total bullshit move I can't tell you he had an agenda. He wasn't coming to you saying, "Oh, and I have a case of this. Can you sell it? it?" No, that wasn't it. It was weird. There was no, there was no like ulterior motive at the time. It was maybe he was just testing the waters to see what wine professionals, what he could get away with. I don't know.
1: Good theory, actually. Uh,
2: exactly. It may have been, but looking back now, that was different. That was different than the hypes thing. Rudy was out there. He was doing stuff. I. I I could say a lot. I mean, and it's all just my own total opinion. Um, I tend to believe there was far less of what he was doing that was truly like this criminal mastermind calculating something. And it's, I think it's just something, it, 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 uh, it just sort of happened and it became something so big and so unable to continue. It was inevitable he was going to be outed. And I remember that first catalog, 2006 catalog of, you know, Rudy's Wines. Uh, and, I mean, the sale did 20 million bucks or something. But there's, like, case quantities of, like, 50s and 60s Russo. And uh, and this is actually even before Russo was the prices they are now. But just, I mean, there's a, there's just this, like, odd weird, unexplainable, diabolical genius to the whole, like, Rudy storyline that, again, so many more, it leaves so many more questions than answers. Uh, But this was the era in the wine biz, firsthand knowledge and growing up with, and, I mean, Rudy wasn't the only sort of, quote unquote, bad operator. There's other stories, and there's other people that didn't have that kind of profile, and uh, um, it was—it's definitely a huge black eye. And I'm surprised how resilient wine buyers and how accepting the wine buying community was to the reaction to such a this controversy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: There should have been much more fallout. Yeah, that didn't happen. Uh, But I think uh, maybe it was egos of those that got burned the baddest and didn't want to accept that and just kind of move on and, you know, damn the torpedoes, everything's okay. Let's move on with life. I I don't know, but I think in in other industries and having been at like Deloitte & Touche before the wine business and seeing, and I worked with the fallout of what happened... With the accounting scandals at like WorldCom and Enron and Rite Aid. I literally, some of these were my clients as a young buck just cutting his teeth. If you were in a regulated environment like that, Mm -hmm. there would be a lot, there would be several entities that are currently in thriving and in business now that would have gone the way of Enron and for good reason. And I'm just saying this because this is one of the things that it does leave a bad taste in your mouth because ultimately, if you're trying to do the right thing and you're working hard to maintain a moral center because there should be, uh, but if it doesn't really matter, if 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 the if your best skill is dodging, you know, it, it just dodging, getting in trouble. I, I can't. I personally, that was not a game I could play. You know, and the fact that they're really truly no, you know, when it comes to like. The wine auction world, based on if you read the fine print in the back of the catalog and as is offering of this stuff and, you know, nobody's responsible for anything but blah, 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 you know, that's that's how everybody got off the hook because, oh, look at the fine print in the back of the catalog. Nobody's purporting this to be legit, blah blah, whatever it is. So, Mm -hmm. but it's different if you're Enron or something and you're truly doing something nasty because you're a public company and you have to live by the rules of the sec and all this stuff you're you're gone overnight you know yeah. i saw arthur anderson collapse i saw enron collapse worldcom all this stuff but wine auction was different and it, whatever there we go so the rudy experience and that whole arc and going through <coughs> uh bill coke versus greenberg eric greenberg mm-hmm. in which uh, it being when i was at Zachy's, you know we at we were. We were in the middle of that, and the second worst day of my entire life after September 11th was the day I had to sit deposition for Bill Koch versus Eric Greenberg. and it, it wasn't because me or Azakis, we were implicated in this, but you're you were put in a position that you're between basically two billionaires going at each other. And they want to use you when it's helpful for them, and they want to burn you when it's helpful for them. And so, for the 10 hours or something, it was the most horrible day I could imagine. I'm so sorry. Aside from September 11th, right? Of course. Be- be- because it was just a mindfuck and just terrible, and just it was exposing what, the awfulness of what was going on. And in the end, though, and I think it's something we talked about, you know, if it wasn't for actually like guys like Bill Koch, that's one of the few people that actually stood up to try to make some change in this fine wine world. And even to this day, I mean, Bill Coke, as far as I know, I don't know if he's still buying wine and stuff. I don't think he is, I think he sold more wine, whatever. He enjoys his wine, I don't know. But there's not much, you know, effective voice for really there being open advocacy for the consumer at the high level of wine Mm -hmm. and it it, there is just unfortunately like what i was saying it's it's almost a gamesmanship of um you you know getting as towing the line as much as you can to get away with it and um and ultimately by virtue of the legalities in the small print in the back of the catalog and on the purchase agreements that people sign when they're bidding and all this like the wine auction houses are effectively abdicating any responsibility for any professionalism uh that said what you hope the fallback is is that it's the reputational risk and that you hope that well if you don't have a good reputation and you get known for just selling bogus stuff and working with bad operators you would think people would stop doing business with you and I guess that doesn't happen. It didn't happen in the wine world, you know.
1: It's such an outlier in that sense because in any other industry, that would have ended the business. It
2: fight. seems like it. And I traffic. Not possibly. I've done work in as a as a enthusiast on my own. I, like things like the car market or like sports memorabilia and baseball mm-hmm. cards or guitars mm-hmm. and whatever and. There are parallel stories, mm-hmm. but the parallel stories are like there are people in prison. Yeah,
1: they end very different that, that
2: did similar things to what Rudy and the facilitators Exactly the did. Th- these are people literally in prison right now. Yeah. And it wasn't because they had you know, they had the same kind of lawyers and same kind of legalese, but I don't know what happened. I don't I can't tell you why.
0: Sure.
2: It was it was literally no different. But I don't know, I'm, I don't know, here we are. And, and you know, that without fed into losing faith in this career path I had found myself in and, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't wanna be cynical about it. And if you can't play, you know, if it's not level playing field yeah. and you're not even sure what the rules are, and of course what rules you're applying May not be the same as somebody else. I don't know. It just, it, it no, was I, disheartening. And it, it, that played in, that was another thing that played into the decision to get out of the market.
1: I mean, I admire your sense of integrity, and it's very clear to anyone, even a casual observer, that for the likes of Rudy to exist, someone had to be looking the other way at best and those people didn't end up being held accountable to the full extent, like in other instances they have, and we all know who they are. And it's unsettling in the more global sense, outside of the wine context, that you can get away with unethical behavior and continue to operate and be very successful in traditional terms. In other words, your business keeps running and your bank account keeps being functional. But they are real victims to this. And ironically, in my view, is not just people that bought questionable wine. It's really the consumer at large. I think it gives a black eye to um, the auction industry Um, as in they have a fiduciary responsibility to help, to uphold, regardless of legalese, what they're representing. There has to be a good faith belief. Yeah. And I think if we all just did our little part in acknowledging what is true and what isn't, perhaps you know, as a whole, we would be better off, and we would have um, an industry that's more truthful and transparent, which I think is much healthier in long in long term.
2: Yeah, well, you, you know, you hit on it. <clears throat> it's it's you know, a moral center, its integrity, and I'm. I, I think what I what I took out of it, <clears throat> and as this was happening, being at a a little more of a younger, naive age, and ultimately taking these experiences as, as ultimately learning experiences mm-hmm. about how the world really works. Uh, that I personally, I just I tend to be fairly idealistic about things. Mm-hmm. I tend to, in my head have. Somewhat rigid ideas, I you know, and I I think I mentioned earlier when we were off mic, <laughs> I I kind of self-diagnose of being you know like some smidgen on the pers- uh, on the spectrum, you mm-hmm. know, because I I don't know, you know, I have I, 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 stuck to some of these uh, beliefs, and, and you'd like to think that. There should be, you know, an, an overriding moral center, an overriding um, level of integrity. That if you stick to it, then you're okay. Mm-hmm. And if others, if it's those who don't, then that's their problem, and they're going to ultimately uh, face the consequences. Yeah. But uh, you know, then there, here's how you learn about real life.
1: Such a powerful life lesson, right there.
2: Yeah, powerful life lesson. Lesson, and and again, it, you know, when you're trying to slug it out <clears throat> in the wine auction world, and this was true, especially when it's my time at Wallies, it, 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 that contributed. Which is, you know, um, I I, I want I I have what I'd like to think a good moral center. I'm tr- truly. Honestly, working on the behalf of the buying and selling public in the way that be fair, be real, be the person that because you have the experience, you have uh, the uh, reputation, Mm -hmm. you're making decisions and meaning... What are you selling? What do you don't sell? What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? And the you know the fine wine market, and especially the auctions, there's a you know there's a ton of room for bad operation, as the Rudy among others, and Rudy's mm-hmm. again the, the most public. But there was other stuff happening, you know. Um, but it became uh, between realizing like holy shit you know even if even if it didn't matter to the people participating in your auctions that okay whatever take anything or work with people that are known to sell illegitimate wines or bad wines or whatever god knows what yeah and guess what even if it didn't matter to your buying base and didn't matter i i I just i there's no way i could be comfortable with that in my own head i would literally. Head would start spinning, smoke would come out of my ears, and I, I would, it would it would just explode, just the way I am, you know. And it's not even about being so, you know. Uh, I I idealistic Joan of Arky, whatever. I I don't know how to explain it, but it's just it didn't it wouldn't feel right. Yeah. You know, because it's not it's not what I thought the service that the auction industry is providing is that level of expertise, that level of weeding out, that level of what you are paying for you are getting to the degree we you trust our expertise and trust our ability to weed out what is or isn't good. Meaning fake, meaning not stored right, meaning whatever it is, you know.
0: The conclusion of this interview can be found in the next podcast, already available for your download. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Pal Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson.